I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor, and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention the BIP show in your message. Now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios, actually, in Grosvenor Place, I believe this is called, and 225 George Street, Sydney, uh, on level 27. I'm currently looking at beautiful Harbour Bridge uh, in the best city in the world, Sydney. How are you now? Uh, my name is James Wheel, and you are listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 4, Episode 14, I think it is. I don't really get lost count. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Coincidentally, that's what I do. As I said, I'm James Wheeler, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, I skipped Davos to be here. The episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is the 17th of July. Sorry, 17th of June. Killing it. Um, should have done my, my end of financial year report. So, but it's uh, 17th of June. It's 11.08 in the AM uh, 2022 AD. Today's guest is Simon Wood, CFA, Portfolio Manager of the Global Small Cap Fund at Ausbill. He has been in the business since 2001, joined Ausbill in 2017. Before there, he spent time at AMP Capital and he spent time at Bearings. London and HK, which does explain the accent. And he's focused on the Global Small Cap uh, Fund is, and his responsibilities include strategy, portfolio construction, research, analysis, and portfolio management. I could not believe um, that I was lucky enough to be able to, to, to meet him at a, at a recent conference that we had. And thank you very much, Simon, for joining us today. Thanks, James. Great to chat today. Okay. Um, now, <laughs> I... I'm just going to go through the usual questions that I would usually ask anyone um, that uh, that I'd be talking to who runs a fund or runs money uh, in my own job. So sort of two birds with one stone, we, we can have a bit of a chat on this anyway. Maybe we can pick up a few bits and pieces for, for the listeners too uh, as we go through it. First off, uh, an, overview of, an overview of the fund. How, what do you do and how do you make money? Yeah, so thanks. So I'm portfolio manager for the Osbill Global Small Cap Fund and we're focused on global smaller companies around the world. We look at the 23 developed markets. So think of North America, Europe, um, Australia, Hong Kong, New Zealand, and and Singapore. Um, And we love global small caps. It's been a great asset class to be exposed to over the last 20 years. It's significantly outperformed mid caps and large caps over that period. And, And when I say global small caps, we're really thinking about companies with a market cap of between 500 million yep. US dollars yep. and 5 billion. 
okay. US dollars. And what we're looking for is what we call unrecognized growth, growth in emerging global titans. Yeah. So unrecognized growth is companies that we think are going to deliver sustainable earnings growth over the next two to three years, but that's underappreciated by the market. So those companies are still attractively valued. Yeah. And when I talk about EGTs or emerging global titans, these are really companies that are niche leaders within their industry that we expect over time to graduate out of that small cap index into the mid cap and the large cap indices. Yeah. So the um, uh, and your process for finding those those uh, EGTs, so the emerging sorry EGTs, emerging global emerging titans. global titans. Yes. Yeah. So your process for finding them. Now we'll, we'll get on to market scrutiny in a second, but um, I always like to go through the process of how the fund comes up with its ideas. Um, how many is on your team? How do you how, how do you pick a universe, and what's your what's your selection criteria? Yeah, so we've got a, a team of three here in Sydney that's backed up by the wider the Osbill Group, and we have a four stage investment process. And firstly, you want to understand where you are in the macroeconomic environment. It's important to get the macro right and understand the risks and the opportunities out there. In the second stage, we really look and delve into the region and sector landscape out there. Where do we think the the best potential for unrecognised growth is in the global sectors and regions? In the third stage, it's all about stock selection. This is where we do the heavy lifting. We model out companies. We narrow down the big investment universe. There's 4,400 companies within global small caps. So we've got a great quant screen that helps us narrow down to the most attractive areas of the markets. And then we talk to management team. We assess their ESG. That's really important. We look if they've overachieved on previous growth plans. We assess their growth plans going forward. And then we model them out to see if we think there's intrinsic value there. And finally, in stage four, we put the portfolio together from our best bottom-up ideas, but with really strong risk management to make sure we're not overly impacted by those those top-down impacts that can affect portfolio performance. Yeah. Now, we'll get into some of the specific ideas. So we'll, we'll come back around to, the, to, to how some of the specific ideas that you've had were created and, and some of the ideas that you've got. Um, so there's, there's going to be uh, some goodies, some tidbits towards, uh, towards the end of the show. I'm going through your March presentation, and, and there can be no – I actually didn't do a market spiel before. I usually do a little market overview at the moment, but I think that everyone knows what's going on at the moment, that the, that the Fed has aggressively raised rates in the face of what is some pretty substantial inflation that, for some reason, even though they've got entire teams of analysts and PhDs, that they seem to say that they actually didn't, they didn't predict. I'm looking at your March presentation that does actually have the view of a lot of people in the market at the time, which was – that the Fed won't be raising rates as aggressively as people originally thought, and the Fed messaging is that they won't be. Now, were they lying or stupid? Now, if you'll excuse that without getting too inflammatory, but what, what, how wrong-footed was the market on, on this messaging, and what, sort of what's the next step that after this sort of with this trust that we've got with the Fed or the lost trust? But I'll let you go. Yeah, I think it's, it all comes back to, to inflation and... I think what the Fed was saying earlier this year is they actually saw um, some of the supply chain constraints would be um, easing later into this year and um, inflation would would soften. What, what we've seen is we've seen the very sad events um, in Russia and Ukraine yeah. and where... And that's really sort of tightened up supply chains as well and also increased um, commodity prices significantly, which has really bumped up 
inflation. So I think the Fed, the Fed has been behind the curve, and obviously um, last week's pretty pretty high inflation print gave them uh, gave them the ability to increase by seventy five bips this week. So I'm not sure they were they were stupid or they were lying <laughs> per se. Yeah. But I think definitely what what's happened in in Europe those geopolitical tensions has really sort of made inflation stickier than it um, than they were expecting and they have been consistent in saying that they do want to see over time um, a return of inflation down to that two two and a half percent level so I think they will continue raising while inflation is um, inflation is elevated yeah i have to i have to agree with you on that one too a lot of people say that they'll stop once something happens and i'm just like i'm pretty sure they'll keep on going funnily funnily enough it uh coincidentally it also times in with the exact moment when they weren't allowed to actually trade on their own accounts anymore that they aggressively raised rates into this market interesting that very funny isn't it always back (laughs) self-interest i say the um obviously tongue-in-cheek um i'm gonna get a call from jerome powell too g'day how's it going I, i know he's a listener as well which is good um now, how impacted uh, by the by the supply chain issues are you? Where, where, do you see any green shoots or benefits from this? I mean, there's always there's always um, a shining light somewhere, a silver lining in, in, in the worst trouble. Where is it for you? Well, it's interesting. If you think about what the Fed is trying to do, they're trying to tighten tighten conditions um, on the demand side to deal with supply side inflation push, which is which is quite difficult because you can't they can't really target the supply side issues that are causing inflation. So they're just taking a sort of blunt hammer um, and trying to soften demand, which will then reduce inflation. But a lot of the work, I think, has been done for them already. We've seen high yield spreads Mm. increase significantly. We're seeing wage inflation. We're seeing, obviously, interest rates um, increase. The 10 years gone from sort of 1.5% to over 3% very quickly. And we've seen the 30-year mortgage rate yeah. in the US go from 3% to 6% again very quickly. So this is this is quite a lot of tightening in in uh, in the 6 months that we've already already seen. So I think the Fed is already already halfway halfway there and that does impact equity markets. This this concerns equity markets if the Fed is going to continue raising rates and this is going to soften demand. This is um, not a great environment for equities, especially some of those higher duration yep. equities. You think about the, the, the tech stocks, yep. um, Nasdaq. These these very high growth stocks that have got a lot of uh, a lot of growth in future years, they get get discounted very 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 quickly. <laughs> We've seen that happen very quickly. The market is a beautiful discounting machine. This market, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The so, what's your take on the rest of the year? I mean, let's start there for, for, for where you think that the macro environment is going to shift into that. With all of the fact, the fact that we've had self tightening and also forced tightening as well. Yeah. So I think they will continue. The Fed um, and the central banks around the world, including here, will continue um, tightening. So we see um, U.S. interest rates being somewhere between sort of three um, and three and a half percent towards year end. But you've got to remember that. The ten-year is actually already at three point three point two percent at the moment. So the ten-year is already it's already, already doing moved. The, that's, that's the pricing upon which all things are based. Correct, and there's a little bit of inversion in the curve as well, which is the ten-year saying, um, "Hold on, we're probably we're probably getting to a level that's reasonably tight 
and may have an impact on global growth yeah. going forward. So I do see um, global growth and earnings um, slowing, yeah. but we have seen over the last six months um, a pretty pretty heavy capitulation in, in equities. And we saw it last night where very little was, was spared. It's yeah. virtually sort of a 4% gap down. In most in I've, most equity markets, I've been uh, I've been quoting. I always like to go back over the Bank of America Fund Manager Survey, which is always my little test for what's ahead and what's behind as well. Always does show. And last month's one did show that that of all they've got their contrary buy indicators. So it's when cash rates are when cash amounts are over five percent, and they're about six percent last month, six point one. When um, and there's others. There's uh, when the when the the, the, the bearish indicator is as far as it could possibly be. That's their buy indicator. The one indicator that was missing was capitulation. For, for their strong buy, which is amazing that they actually missed that contrary buy indicator because capitulation had not happened yet. The key signal that they were looking for was for um, a negative view on three-month yields. That was that was the key. So when short-term yield suddenly turns very bearish, did you actually think that they're going to go down? That's the, that's one of their capitulation signals. Everything else was there for it. That, there are other messages on capitulation. What does capitulation also look like to you? It's sort of a question I've been asking. Oh, this is a little bit off the cuff. I'm sorry we didn't. Oh, yeah. We talked about it before, but what does it look like to you? No, it felt felt, felt a bit like, like last night. night. <laughs> it was a bit of a capitulation when nothing is spared. Yep. When um, high quality stocks sell off, when low quality stocks sell off, when energy sell off as it sells off, when there's just a broad based complete sell off around the world. We saw it in in the European trading yesterday. We saw it in the US trading overnight, um, and it really was a a gap down. So. It, it looks like we're starting to get to, um, certainly in the short term, those levels of capitulation being uh, being realised where everyone's sort of throwing in the towel and recession um, next year in the US sort of starts to become consensus. Well, let's tie it all together then. If, if, we've got, if we're coming into capitulation, which means that there are going to be buyers out there, if we see that earnings are slowing in, in, in global, so there's... I, I see it as being a race to value, a move to value and a move to quality for sure when the dust settles is sort of where I'm settling on it. Where do you see the, the opportunities and where are you sort of looking? With a, I'm assuming there's a bit of powder that you've got dry to be able to, uh, to, to, be able to pick up some deals. Where, what sort of segments, uh, segments are you looking in the market right now? Well, we're very much focused on quality businesses at attractive valuations. That's really our, our investment philosophy. We yeah. want to find those businesses that are niche leaders, within their industry that are taking market share that are uh, are growing new products growing geographically and then are going to deliver that attractive earnings growth going forward and that also are attractively valued and we've got what we think is a whole portfolio full of those types of businesses across the different sectors for instance we own capcom which is a japanese computer game manufacturer it made the um if you remember back in the day, I played it a lot when I was young, but the Street Fighter series. Yep. Now they have Resident Evil and Monster Hunter World. They continually launch new titles under that franchise. They've got a really exciting new franchise being launched next year. We think that's a, a great company that's going to continue to grow earnings, yep. um, but still attractively valued. What are some other so, uh, any, any, any areas in the market, sorry, uh, sort of general geographically speaking, that, that you might see as being some shining lights out there in this, in this disaster that we're currently looking well, at? Well, we definitely think there's going to be a lot of capital focused on um, renewables yep. going forward um, and also quite a lot of niche healthcare as well. And we also see these being as quite um, probably good areas 
good defensive areas of the market. For instance, we own um, Alberts in in Europe. It's uh, listed in in Holland, but that really is a that's a core industrial providing a lot of tech for smart buildings, um, insulation. Alberts, uh, efficiency. Did, did they have the were they the the, the plastic? Clip-on, uh, the, the racks, was that there? That's at core. That, okay, right. Yeah. What's Albert's? What is, which one's Albert's? So, um, Albert's? I love, I love company stories of companies. That I, I yeah, so they've got a few few segments, but they do a lot of um, smart building infrastructure. So think water, heating, um, pipes, fluid management. They've also got a, a manufacturing segment where a lot of their products are used um, for manufacturing. They do a lot of um, what they call mechatronics, which is um, a lot of the kit you need when you're making semiconductors. Yeah. Making semiconductors is incredibly difficult. Um, you've got to keep environments incredibly clean, and you've got to manage temperatures, etc. They provide a lot of the kit um, used in the semiconductor industry. And they've also got a really interesting segment of the business called Surface, their surface technology business. Yeah. Um, and this is where they layer very, very thin layers. We're talking about sort of just a few, a few atoms thin onto surfaces to improve the conductivity if you think about your phone and how you move your finger on your on your on your yep. phone face yep. on the glass there that's all using surface technology to mm. make um the the phone um, able to conduct the the uh the energy from your from your body um, and that's how that's how they they integrate and um, but also heat resistant scratch resistant um, Alberts provides that sort of that sort of technology. And at core, you still, yeah, we still we still hold at core. At core was a fascinating story. Do, do you want to talk, if it's possible, to talk yeah. about? Because I know that you did mention at the symposium a couple of months ago. Talk about how you came to the idea and where the where the growth in that in that particular idea is. Because this is the perfect small cap sort of idea, as far as I'm concerned. Which is why it's a good it's a good demonstration. Yeah. So at core, we bought at core when we launched the fund back in June 2018. And we actually went to see them. We, we spoke to them. Uh, we, we speak to them on a, on a regular basis. But we actually went and saw them before um, COVID. Uh, Toby, my co-PM, travelled to Chicago. And what really impressed us with Accor um, is they had, a, they had a great management team. What, what Accor do is they create electrical uh, infrastructure. So the... Um, metal raceways that you see hanging down in car parks that uh, carry all the wires yep. um, a lot of pvc pipe uh, piping used in um, new buildings um, uh, high-rise cabinets um, data centers um, and when we spoke to them we realized they had this great product set but they also had this um, really superb distribution and logistics structure in the u.s and basically what they said is they said we can get any uh, materials, fixtures, fittings to your building site on time, every time. And why that was important is because these are big projects that they're servicing. You want a supplier that gets the right kit, the right fixtures and fitting to site on time because you don't want to be the supplier that's delaying these expensive projects because yep. you're not going to get this repeat business. And what we've seen more recently is a huge growth in, in data centres that's been a key driver for Accor. And also what we really liked about Accor is they've been able to pass the inflation that we've seen over the last six months of the year um, through to their end customers. 
so although the, the cost of metal, the cost of sort of their, their raw, raw materials for their PVC piping, et cetera, has gone up considerably, it's 30 to 40%. What they've done, what they've been able to do is pass those pricing increases on to their customers. But because their cost of goods sold are only sort of 30, 40% of their business, it's been really beneficial yep. to their margin. And we increased our, our weight in that core um, at the back end of 2020 when we saw manufacturing PMIs increasing and we saw the recovery out of the COVID lows coming. Um, and what Accor was able to do was increase pricing as it was increasing its volumes, which was very beneficial. Yeah, always process. Margins increase and margins are everything to a company. Absolutely. And what we've seen more recently is we've seen announcements from California that they're going to move big chunks of their electrical grid underground because of all the, the big uh, wildfires yeah. they've had over the last few summers. Um, and that's going to also be very beneficial yep. to Apple. Yeah, fixing the problem by changing <laughs> changing the end bit, not as opposed to changing the thing at the beginning. So uh, that's that's fantastic. So okay, so we mentioned margin um, margins being important to yep. margin pressures. Are you seeing margin pressures across across the market? How are you positioning? Uh, where are you keeping your eyes on the margin pressures at the moment? Yeah, we are. That's been a massive theme, and because the supply inputs have just been correct. Through the roof, so right? we've so, been we've been talking about that. Um, for sort of six to nine months, and we made some fairly uh, fairly big changes to the to the portfolio. Yeah. We had a couple of manufacturing um, and IT companies that did source a lot of parts from um, China, a lot of lot of tech like routers, etc., that they used in their end their end business. Um, and we could see that these supply chains were coming under severe pressure, um, and that was going to not only impact the margin because of the cost, but they would actually be un- unable to get these parts, which then hits volumes as well. So you've got the double hit of decreasing volumes, increasing margins. It's very bad yep. for, for earnings. Um, whereas you compare that to Atcol, which basically owns its manufacturing stack, it can still get the raw, raw materials it needs. It does the majority of, of, of processing yeah. and manufacturing. And then it gets the opposite of that. It actually gets to expand its its margin and because there, there is still um, quite strong demand out there it can increase its volumes as well yeah so we have seen severe pressure on on margins for anyone who doesn't really can con- control their supply chain you've got to control the, 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 yeah. from the root to the fruit as much as you can control they're, they're the companies you've got to keep an eye on um any other ideas we're almost out of time any other new ideas you've had any ins or any outs you'd like to talk about things that have been um, I might just highlight that um, we do see um, the renewables theme as, yes. as being yeah, we talked about that. Go on, really yeah. interesting. Just um, we own a company in the US called Hanon Armstrong, which is a niche lender to green infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and when when we first started looking at Hanon Armstrong, it just it looked like a traditional sort of banking business. It's actually a, a real estate investment trust, but they've been around for thirty five years, and what they do is they lend purely to green infrastructure projects. And they've got two segments. They've got what they call grid connected, which is lending money for bigger renewable product projects. Think solar farms, big wind farms that actually get plugged into the grid. And then they've got smaller and a grid connected projects that they finance. And you think that's um, perhaps solar panels on top of a library. They're, They're providing the cash for that. But when we when we talk to them, they just talk about how big their book of business is and that and the pipeline 
um, and the demand for lending for green infrastructure. And because they're a pure play on this, because they've been doing it for a long time, they're actually able to price these deals really well. So they know which deals to accept, they know which deals to turn away, which means they're generating a really attractive yield on their book and they and they will continue to do even as we see uh, interest rates rising that's a great idea i think that there's there's, there's going to be more ideas out there if um if you look hard enough you might find it but that's that's a fascinating one what you say there was um hannah armstrong hannah armstrong i'm gonna have a look right. at that. i'm gonna have a look at that one myself so yeah. speaking of that um now we're we are we are out of time now and i know that you've got to get back to doing what you do as do the rest of us uh how do people invest in the fund um, you can invest in the, uh, through the uh, platforms. Yep. Um, we're also available on M funds, M funds yep. um, and we're also launching uh, an active ETF later this year. I will be very interested in that ETF, myself being the ETF guy, uh, widely accepted that I'm, I'm the ETF guy. There you go. It's not, it's not a title I gave myself, trust me. Um, now, thank you for joining us, uh, Simon Wood, PM for Osbill Global Small Cap Equities Fund. Uh, cheers. Anything else to say? No, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks. Cheers. Um, quick market spiel. I do think that the Fed will obviously, as we, as we mentioned, continue to, to drive rates higher. I think that the best short in the market is Meta, formerly known as Facebook, um, and that uh, and that not only will the market keep selling that off, but I think that the regulatory heat that is about to come down on that company is going to be quite substantial. Offering my own little two bits on this one. Um, I'm still good with energy and China tech is the, the idea that I've had for the last couple of weeks and that has shown some really good bullish signs. It's one of the few things that's propping up my portfolios at the moment as well. Um, but I am going to have a really good look at the small cap space, Simon. Um, once the dust settles, there is going to be some amazing value out there. Now, the fact that you are quality value, they're the two key words that you want to have in the, in, in the rest of the year, um, once the dust settles. So... When is that dust going to settle? <laughs> it's, it's an entirely different matter. That's the million-dollar question. Exactly, exactly. Wait for the capitulation. You'll know it. You'll know it when you know it. The uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes, on Twitter, on Facebook uh, for as long as Facebook is around. Uh, I've got a website uh, that's Wheel and Capital, which is where all the bits and pieces are going to be, um, including a big disclaimer from the Osbill people talking about the exact. Uh, that this is general advice in nature and we do have to specify that that is it. Um, individually, my name is, uh, I'm at James Whelan 42 on the Twitter. Um, I don't know if you're on Twitter at all, Simon, or any of that. I'm not. Oh, well, that's no. good. Good for you. That's why you're so well balanced. Um, the, show, the show is produced by uh, Drunken Monkeys. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening.